morning. Glad you could all be here this morning to worship our God together. It is a, a wonderful time to, to spend together. I know we often we often say and comment about how important it is to worship, but it truly it truly is truly is an opportunity for us to come together as a as a body of believers and lend our voice and lend our thoughts into the worship of God uh, collectively. We spend a lot of time apart, really, when you think about our week. We spend a lot of time away from each other as a body, and it's good to come back and to worship together. So I got to be a part of a wedding yesterday, which is always fun. Weddings are a good time uh, to see two people come together and make that kind of commitment to one another. It's even better when it's two people who I know have a desire and a love for God. To be able to stand up and bear witness to then uh, the commitment that they have not just not just to the world's idea of love but to God's idea of love and what it is to, to come together so Friday night we uh, had the rehearsal very quickly because it was wet and there was lightning and there was oh no what's gonna happen and then the wind picked up and it cleared out and it dried out and it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, if you've ever been to a yard as well kept as John's, then I commend you because it is fantastic. I'm not sure if he charges to walk through it or not, but it was... It's a free-for-all? All right. Because it was uh, very beautiful and very well done. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna look in Hebrews. If you'd like to turn to Hebrews, well, we just had a reading there from chapter six. We're gonna jump in a couple chapters later. Uh, I want us to think about this at the very beginning. One of the small, well, not actually, so, maybe not actually so small, but one of the one of the mistruths that Satan has begun to slip into our world that I see, and maybe it's been uh, a long time, uh, is that that there is no truth in and of itself. Now, just think about the consequences of that. If there is no truth, if there is no right and wrong, if truth is all just uh, relative to the situation, think of the fallout of, of what happens to that. If that is true, and I don't know how that can be truth if there is no truth, but uh, if, there, if truth is just simply relative to the situation, if it is, if it is dependent then on people's experiences, it's dependent on their their lives, their choices, if it all has to do simply with uh, situations, then what happens to uh, God's word? What happens to the directive that God gives us as people? When we say, okay, let's open up God's word and see what God has told us to do, people will say to us, well, that is good for you. That's good for you. I'm glad that you have followed that truth. I'm glad that you have found God. But that's just for you. I have my own truth. I have my own set of guidelines that I live by. I, I have my own experiences. I have the own, my own situations that I'm dealing with. And so I have a truth that is mine. And yet again, someone else will say the same thing, right? So now you have three sets of truth. And there's how many people in the world? Approximately how many now? Eight billion? Is that, is that what they're saying now? Somewhere in there? 
how many truths would we find among approximately 8 billion people? A lot. Right? A lot of these so-called truths. Now, ultimately, uh, they will realize and come to an understanding as they kneel before God and as they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that they were wrong, that their truth wasn't, in fact, truth. But this is the lie that Satan has put forth into the world. That truth is relative. Let us be clear. That is a lie. In fact, as uh, Richard even read from, from Genesis, God says, do not eat of this tree, right? Do not eat of it or you will surely die. And Satan comes to them and says what? No, 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 you won't. You won't surely die. Making God out to be a liar. From the very beginning, Satan has made God out to be a liar. God will not, if you haven't been paying attention yet, listen to this. God will not lie to you. When we open up God's word, what it says there is true. So when Satan comes along and says truth is, is relative, truth is dependent on the situation, truth can be changed, well... When we're talking about the truth of God's word, we're, not, we're very clear that no, it can't be, can't be changed, can't be altered. What God desires from us as his people cannot just come and go like the wind. This is what God wants from us. There is a right and there is a wrong. There are absolutes that we must not only acknowledge, but adhere to. And so when we go into the world then and say, this is what God has said, and they begin with that, well, you know, that's good for you, the reality is, is no, no, just hold on a second. This is for everyone. Because this is the truth of God's word for mankind, for the world, for all that he has created. And so we must follow the truth of our Lord. There is no other way. We cannot depart from God, or else we make God out to be a liar, and we have departed from him. If we do not follow the truth of our Lord, then we make him out to be a liar. Let this never be for us. Now, again, we're going we're gonna to make some mistakes. We're going we're gonna to mess up. We're going to grow. We're going to mature. But let us never depart from the truth of God's word. Satan wants to devour you, to devour me, to devour us. He wants churches to... shy away from the truth. He wants churches to, to meander off the narrow path. He wants us to be conforming to the patterns of this world. I mean, that, that is what the great deceiver will do. And we have to under, understand that. I mean, it, it just it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that we have to adhere to the word of God and defend ourselves against our enemies. 
God, from the very beginning, told Adam and Eve, this is the way that it is. This is the way that it is. You have to live this way. You have to choose this. And as we heard earlier, what did they do? Well, I mean, you already knew probably, but what did they do? You got one command, right? You got one thing you're not supposed to do. And they did it. So then later, God gives the law, right? God begins to describe to the people and give them uh, restrictions, boundaries, laws, things that they're supposed to do, behaviors that they're supposed to uh, get away from. And so he goes through this in-depth thing, law that he gives them that says, okay, well, fine. This is what you have to do. This is how you have to live. And God did this not, not because he wanted to restrict the people, but because he loved them. And he wanted them to understand what was right. He wanted them to understand what was wrong. He wanted them to understand the truth of how they were supposed to live to be at peace with God now that they had sinned. Now that sin had entered the world. This is what you must do. These are the sacrifices you must make. He wanted them to grow and to flourish. So was there some restrictions placed on them on how they could eat, how they could act, how they could treat other people? Yes. Why? Because he wanted them to be better. He wanted them to be better than what they would be without those things. We uh, don't always like sometimes the restrictions placed on us. How many of you have uh, driven to Winnipeg, come back and found that 30 speed zone? Absolutely frustrating. What? It's 40? Oh, well, okay. We'll, we'll talk about numbers later. I, I just can't stand it. I mean, I go, I go the speed limit because there's that big fancy thing that it flashes at you when you're going too fast. We have other restrictions placed on us. Why? What would our world be like if we got rid of the law and just said, live how you want. Better? Better or worse? Man's probably natural instinct would drive it to do what? To be selfish? And it would probably be worse. God calls us out of that, out of the desires of the flesh, out of the desires of our passions, out of, uh, of the sinful nature, away from those things. And so then he puts those restrictions on us so that we have an understanding of what we should be doing in order to live according to his will for us. And in the Old Testament, we look at the old law and we see how the blood of goats, the blood of bulls and lambs and doves and all of that was not enough to cleanse the people. It was for a time. It was for a portion, right? But it was not intended for an eternity. Even the high priest we see that the high priest would go and make a sacrifice once a year in the most holy place for all the people. And what would he have to do again? The same thing. Over and over and over again. Why? Because the law pointed out man's sin. It pointed out the sin that we had. It pointed out all those things. And the high priest, as important as he was as this mediator between God and the people, could do nothing about the sins of mankind. 
He would go and make the sacrifice, and the moment he had sacrificed, I can guarantee you someone in the people of Israel had done what? They had sinned. And what would happen then? Again, that next year, he would have to go and make this atonement for the people, as they did also along the year for themselves. It was temporary. Do we then understand uh, the importance of that? Do we understand the importance of those sacrifices and bringing people closer to God? I think if we had ever actually been a part of that system, we would understand uh, what it was like to have to go and to make those sacrifices, to have to be aware of all of the, all of the laws and all of the rules and all of the things that, that were a part of the old law. There was a point in, in Scripture talks about this, that they lived in fear, and we've mentioned this before, but lived in fear of unmarked graves. Why? Do you live in fear of unmarked graves right now? Have you ever once in your life been afraid of an unmarked grave? But they did. Because if they walked over an unmarked grave, they would be unclean and not know it. Be living in sin and not know it. I think if we would understand all that they were going through and all the importance of that in bringing them back to God, we would understand the great importance of how we live now. Turn into uh, Hebrews chapter 8. Now the main point is this. And I want to stop, uh, and we're going to get into Hebrews 8, but uh, before we get there, uh, I want to talk about one of the things I think of as the main point in all of this is that God loves his people. When we talk about the covenants between God and man, that, that is a covenant because God loves us. Why, why did he give a, the, the old law to the people? Why did he have this new covenant with us? Why did he warn Adam and Eve about their sins? Why did he give them an opportunity to continue to live at all? Because he loves us. He loves his creation. He loves us so much that we understand and know that he sent his son to die on our behalf. Do you appreciate that? I mean, not do you appreciate it as in do you understand and know that, but do you really appreciate that that's why Jesus died on the cross? Sometimes I think, and you can correct me later if you think I'm wrong, Sometimes I think we fall into the trap of thinking that he died for the world. That, that we're not a part of. Because we're Christians. And we've been good for so long that we forget what it is to have had that grace wash away our sins. And that we're, we're good. And those guys out there, they really need to hear this. Because... They're not good. And the reality is what? We're all in that same boat, are we not? I need the grace of God to wash away my sins. And without it, I am lost for eternity. And so are you. Do we appreciate that, that Jesus came and died on our behalf? 
that when he was hanging on that cross, and that when he defeated sin and death to be raised again, that it was our sins, our sins, that he went to the cross for. Not, not solely ours, but all of mankind's, but ours as well. And what it must have taken for Jesus to become a sacrifice. You know, it was interesting listening to, to Richard talk as he talked about Adam and Eve and, and what it must have been like for Adam looking back, you know, looking back at perfection, looking back at the opportunity that he had to just walk and talk with God, looking back at the Garden of Eden and everything that he got to be a part of in the creation of the world. And then looking back at as he was toiling, as he was working, as he was sweating to, to make things work and to, to provide, and looking back and going, oh, man, I can't believe that I lost that for that one bite of something that I was told not to eat. And just, I can just imagine the time that he spent over the rest of his life lamenting that choice. Now think about Jesus. Jesus left the splendor of heaven. And we can't, I mean, I honestly cannot wrap my brain around this. That Jesus is there at the beginning. He is God. He is the, the creator of the world. And he gives that up being out of time, you know, to be human and, and to, to walk this world. To... to have the limitations of being man and to dealing with temptation, dealing with hunger, dealing with all the things that man deals with and doing so perfectly but having to deal with all of those things. Becoming a sacrifice. Giving up his life for us. And more than that, he also becomes for us a high priest. And ushers in a new covenant. And the, and the role of the high priest was what? The role of the high priest in the old covenant was to do what? To be, uh, among other things, to be a mediator between God and man, right? He would enter the most holy place when no one else could. And he would make these sacrifices. He was a mediator between us and God. So now we have not only Jesus, who is the Son of God, who was the sacrifice, who was the Christ, but has also become the high priest of this new covenant and is a mediator between us and God. He intercedes on our behalf. He has gone to prepare a place for us. He is, he is without blemish. This is who Christ has become for us. So now let's turn into Hebrews chapter 8. It says, now the, pain, the main point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve in a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs 
as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. So here we have this understanding that we have a high priest, someone who is a mediator of this new covenant that intercedes on our behalf, has gone to prepare a place for us, and mediates between us and God. Do we need a mediator? Okay, so I see some nodding of the heads. I heard a, I heard a yes. We certainly do. We are lost in our sins, right? At a time, we are lost in our sins. We are enemies of, of God's. And when two enemies need to bridge a gap, how best is that accomplished? Almost always, how is that accomplished? Through mediation, right? Christ has done that already. Christ has gained that victory already. So if you sit here now in your own sin, you understand that the only way then to come out of that and to come to God is through Christ, who has created an avenue, a path for us to come from being an enemy of God to now being at peace with God. We do not, cannot do this ourselves. Christ has accomplished this. And so we have a high priest. And one that dwells in heaven. How amazing is it that he has gone to prepare a place for us? I don't know if we think about that enough. That Jesus, who is the sacrifice, who is the lamb that was without blemish, who died on our behalf, who is high priest, who is the Christ, has gone to prepare a place for us. So that we get to be with God for all eternity. Think about how amazing that place is going to be. How great that place is going to be. And God has, Christ has gone into heaven to do that for us. Into, as it says, it says to serve in this true tabernacle while we await that time. Are you anticipating that time? I know we've mentioned it previous occasions that there's some that really are. I, I hope we all are anticipating that time. That we understand what we have to do here now. We understand the importance of life here now. We understand what God has assigned for us to do here now. But that we anticipate what is ahead. Because it is going to be good. It is going to be so good to be able to be with God. But we have a life to live, don't we? And in that life, there's going to be ups and downs. And in that life, there's going to be all kinds of, of turmoil. But we get to be a part of something. We get to be a part of the kingdom. We get to be a part of this new covenant. We get to live for God. And it says that this new covenant is superior to the old one. Superior to the old one, it says, because it established on better promises. This eternity with God. This peace with God. If you go back just a little earlier, talking about Jesus being a high priest, it says that every high priest brings gifts and sacrifices. So it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. 
What did Christ bring as a sacrifice? Not a, not a lamb, not a, not a bull, not a goat, not a dove, none of that. Himself. That was the, the plan from the very beginning, that he would sacrifice himself, that he would do the will of God so that we could be saved. God is so good. Our God is so good to us. The, we talked at the very beginning about Satan and trying to draw us away. We live in a we live in a fairly apathetic society that gives no thought to God. gives no thought to pleasing God. How difficult is it, we understand that it is, for us to live in this world and to continue to understand the importance of being salt and being white and living for God because he has sacrificed for us so that we can have life and not the life that the world offers. It was a while ago uh, I asked in class, what, is, what does church mean to you? What does it mean to you to be a part of the church? What does it mean to meet with the church? What, is, what does uh, the idea of, of church mean to us? And we had, a, we had a discussion on that. We talked about what that entails what that means and and sometimes that we boil it down to church is coming on sunday or coming on wednesday or or coming for other things but church is us living for god understanding the sacrifice that was made for us that we could have life and live for god and when we depart from that when we walk away from that in small areas, in large areas, we have to understand what we're doing. That it's not just, you know, a small, just little step away from truth. It's walking away from the call that God has given us to place our lives, as a, bodies, as a living sacrifice for Him. Being holy and pleasing before Him. The, the reason why the, the old law didn't work was why? Something was wrong. And what was it? You read through this passage again, Hebrews chapter 8, and what was it? Verse 8 says, well, let's read in verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with who? With the law? No, it says, God found fault with the people. The people were disobedient. And we like to say, those people were disobedient. People in general, mankind, all of us, have been disobedient. And so if they adhered to the law, if they had read the law and kept the law, then it would have been great, right? There wouldn't have been a need for something else, but they didn't. They didn't. We didn't. And so that law then begins to point out to them, not eradicate or remove their sins, but to point out to them their sins. 
So when they do something wrong, they, well, you, you know you've done something wrong because the law says you shouldn't do that. We need to change from that, from that line of thinking. We need to change from being so close to the world that we're comfortable with the world. You know, it talks about coming out of darkness and into light. And when you do that in, uh, in, the, in reality, I mean, when you do that in a physical sense, uh, light, there's kind of, a, kind of a gray area in between the, the brightness of the light and the darkness of the dark, right? Like you have, a, you have a flashlight at night and there's the area you see the beam is actually in, but you could probably step a foot out from that and still see the light and see the dark and you're not really in either. That, that's not the area spiritually that we think there is, right? In fact, often when it talks about the, the middle ground, it connects it with what? If you're going to be lukewarm, what's going to happen? You guys all know this because you know that's one of my favorite passages. But if you're going to be lukewarm, what is God going to do? He's going to spew you out of his mouth. There is, no, there is no room for the lukewarm. There is no room for the gray area. There is darkness and there is light. And so we need to change from that line of thinking that says, well, I'll kind of straddle the light. I'll have one foot in and I'll have one foot out or I'll take steps over here and then I'll come back because I can see where the light is. And we have to remove that form of thinking from our brains. And it's difficult. We understand the difficulty of it, and we understand that we're going to make mistakes in it, and that often, sometimes, we'll even fail at it, but we need to understand that there has to be a change. So then there is a need for something new. If we're going to come out of something old, we need to come into something new, and that something new is a new covenant in which we now stand. That we do not have the old law. We do not live under the old law. We do not have to go back into the old law and say, okay, these are all the things that we have to do. We do open up God's word. We do open up scripture and say, this is how we are to live. But this is in a new covenant. And the difference being that Christ has now come and given his life for us. So that those sacrifices that came and went again and again and again are not necessary. Because Christ has given his life once and for all, for all of mankind. But not all of mankind will be saved. God has chosen. God knows who will be saved. There will be those that, that respond to the gospel call, and there will be those that do not. But we get to have a personal relationship now with God, with our Creator, that we can walk again, as it says in Galatians, in step with the Spirit. That we can have a life that is new, that is no longer conforming to the world, but one of salt and light. we were under grace and so when we make mistakes what do we do do we go to our, our local farmer and say I need to buy a buy a lamb nope we go to our God and we repent we go to our God and we repent we change our thinking and be once again in line with him. 
And as we've discussed many times before about repentance, repentance is not just being sorry or saying sorry. Repentance is a change in behavior, a change in the processes of our mind, how it works, that we give up that which has drawn us to sin. And we come back to God and are obedient. And so this is what we must do. We must live by faith. Having faith being played out in action in our obedience to the gospel. And so we live in a new covenant. And in that it says, if we would want to turn into Hebrews 8 again. In that it says, if you want to go down a little bit farther near to the end of the passage. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And so we have this. We have the spirit that walks with us, that spirit that guides us, that has given us the word of God, that we can understand this written word of God and understand that the spirit is guiding us and understand that we need to grow and mature and make choices to walk in step with what we have been given. It also says, uh, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. (laughs) Do you understand the blessing of that? That we have been forgiven and that God says, I will remember their sins no more. Figure out how that works with a God who knows everything and understands everything. But this is what he will do for us when we come and be a part of this new covenant. What a blessing. What a blessing it is to be his child, to no longer have to fear sin and death and the outcome of our life, to know that that burden has been lifted that we are truly free in Christ Jesus our Lord because we are a part of a superior covenant a new one making as it says at the very end of Hebrews chapter 8 making the old one obsolete and once it is obsolete we do not go back to it anymore we do not go back to anything that draws us away from the new covenant that we now stand in So we may look at the the old law and say, okay, well, I wouldn't do that. But I have this, this, and this that I want to adhere to because I find that this is good for me. Well, if it brings us away from that, which is the new covenant that brings us away from the commands of God, then we must view that as obsolete because it is not Christ. It is not the new covenant. It is not superior. We must follow God. Come to him who is our Savior, our Lord, the Son, the Christ, a servant and high priest. The high priest of a new covenant, which leads us to God. I want to close by reading in in Hebrews chapter 9, if you'd like to turn there. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11, it says this. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from the acts that lead to death, so that we may serve 
the living God. 